Well, this morning we're continuing our um, sermon series, and the, the title of the series is, um, is Echoes of a Voice. And so when you think about Advent, you, you, th- you think about the coming of Jesus, and, and really what we've done is we've tied this idea that inside of each human, there's a desire several different types of desires, and those, all those desires point to and are fulfilled in Jesus. And, and so when we look at his coming, we get excited that he fulfills those God-given desires in us, and so we look to that. Last week, we looked at our longing for justice. The idea that every one of us has inside of us an idea of what is right and what should be done uh, and yet we, we have differing ideas because we have fallen, and, and as we talked about, we're, we're sinful people, and so we then begin to, to create our own ideas of justice, but there's one who would come, right? The offspring of David, the, one who would, the branch who would come and who would execute justice perfectly, who would live righteousness, who would impart that righteousness then to us, and that we could now live and walk in that righteousness. And so we, we looked at that longing for justice and how it's fulfilled in Jesus. Well, this week we we look at uh, what does it look like to hunger for relationship. And so we're going to begin in that, that passage in Genesis, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where God uh, creates man in his image on the sixth day. The, the first five days have led up to this creation of man, creating the space where man would dwell. And God said after each day and after each uh, step in creation that it was good. And then he creates man, and he says that it's very good. And so we're going to look at that today. And what does this idea of being made in the image of God have to do with relationships? How does it actually reconcile and restore our relationships to each other and our relationship to God? Because if we get these things right, if we get them in the right order, that first and foremost we were made for relationship with God, and then he also created other humans for us to be in relationship with, We can actually walk in some of these things by the grace of God, by the work of Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to look at both how we have this innate hunger for relationship that has been put there by God himself, that that God is a relational being. We see it in this this passage. And then we're going to look at what does that mean for us and how we should live. What What does that produce in us? And so I pray that we would have ears to hear today eyes to see as we dive into the word this morning, I'll tell you that, uh, p- pray for me. I, I have a hard time sometimes when we just kind of drop into a passage um, because we could, we could make it say some things that you could take it out of context. And so I don't want to do that. I, I want us to hear what God has to say, but I also believe that he has a particular thing that he wants to, to speak to us today, right? We need to hear his voice. Our lives need to go differently from the way they came in today. We need to be transformed and conformed, all of us, because all of us are sinful. All of us have issues. Maybe even you've, you've thought of some of them in the prayer confession already, things where we need to be changed and transformed into the image of Christ for his glory, not our glory, not so that people would say, hey, that Riley kid, he's, that guy's on point. He's got it, you know, but for, for Jesus' sake, for his fame, for his glory, so that they would be like, man, that Riley... He, he loves Jesus. There's something about his God that is great and good. And so that's what our hope and prayer is this morning. Um, I know we just prayed, but I'm going to pray again. Lord, we, we thank you. 
God, we thank you that um, somehow your word has been preserved for thousands of years, that you have given us this gift, and, and even today we get to see the inner dialogue, the inner uh, discussion of God as he creates. So, Lord, we just thank you. God, and we want to value this gift. We want to take hold of this gift. We don't want it to be something that we just open and, and toss away, but that we would cherish, that we would enjoy, that it would change our, our, our feelings, our thoughts, our behaviors. So, Lord, we would ask that you would do that by your grace this morning through the power of your word, through the working of your spirit. God, we thank you that we can pray with confidence, knowing that this is not only taking place here in this pavilion, but it's taking place throughout the world, Lord, as, as believers come and sit under the word of God and saying, Lord, you are God, you are the creator, and we are the creatures, and so tell us how you want us to live. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, well, Genesis 1 26, 27, and 28, just three verses. I'm sorry it's not going to be any shorter than normal because of the shorter passage. Um, but we're going to start in verse 27, which is weird because uh, I just want to focus first and foremost on why we would think that we have uh, a desire for relationship. And to, to get to that point, we're going to see that God himself has relationship it's right there in verse 26. It says, our image. So there's, there's more than one. There's, there's a discussion that's going on. There's a dialogue that's going on. But as far as why we would have a hunger for relationship as humans, we would have that hunger because we are made in the image of God. We are made in the likeness of God. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If we begin to understand this, and I've been wrestling with this this week, and it's really been messing with me. Um, and it messes with me in all aspects of my life. I'll, I'll be honest, particularly parenting has been the one where it's really rocked me. If this is true, and so we have to begin, anytime we come to the word, we're, we're, having a, we're presupposing that we believe this to be true. That only happens by the power of the Spirit working and regenerating our hearts, and so we can't convince other people. But if that work has been done, then we come to God's word and we say, wow, this is true. And so we have to start there. This is truth. This truth says that you and I, and every other human were created in the image of God. Man and male and female, he created them. In God's original design, he created male and female. Every other descendant was born as a male or a female and has been born as a male or a female. So that means all of humanity, every person is made in the image of God. They, they reflect his character, his glory. And you may say, well, that's not true. I know some people that are not reflecting God's glory and character. And if you know me, I know you're thinking about me, and that's fine. 
Because the reality is that, that the story goes on. And after creation, in, in chapter 3 of the story, man sins. We sin and we, we reject the truth of God. We reject this truth that we say that we believe and we believe a lie. What's crazy is that the truth that we reject is this truth right here. What was the lie that the serpent came to Eve with in the garden? If you would eat this apple, you would be like God. And right here we have the truth that says, no, we are already created in the image of God with his likeness. So, so that, tr- that was a lie. And she wasn't believing this truth. And so somehow that her unbelief led to behavior and action that was the original sin. All sin comes from unbelief. And yet, she's been given this perfect truth. And so, with the the fall of man, that image of God has been marred, and yet we still see reflections of his character. We are all still created with a soul. Right? We're not just physical. We have a a soul that dwells inside of us that, that causes us to think and move and have emotions We reflect God's character in that. Out of all of creation, we reflect His character in that way. And so when we see each other, we have to think, that is an image bearer. And as I said, it's really messed with me in my idea of parenting, because often I'll see my kids and I'll think, man, if you would just do what I need you to do, we could move on with the things that we need to do. And so I see them not as image bearers of God. I see them as pieces that I need to manipulate and control and fix. Often I will see my wife. And I don't see image bearer of God. I see something else. I see something that gives me things that I need. I see something that helps me. Right? And that's the beauty of it is she, she is created as a helper. And I'm created as a helper for her. Right? We're, we're to do this together. And yet... We often, because of sin, manipulate each other. We try to get each other to do things that would make us feel better, to to meet our idols of comfort, control, power, approval. But if I look at, at my wife and I see, Randy is an image bearer of God. Then suddenly, all of my frustrations have no place. I don't get to tell God that something is wrong with his image bearer. I think you look at Romans and, and Paul talks about, hey, can the, the clay tell, to, tell the molder, hey, you made a mistake? You did something wrong? No, we, we are the created beings. We don't get to tell the creator what he did, what he should have done. And yet, we often do that with each other. We often do that with ourselves. We tell God that, that's, that we're not right. That He made a mistake when He made us. But God doesn't make mistakes. He created them and it was very good. It was perfect. And so we have to rest on this principle doctrine. And when we, t- when we talk about doctrine, it means teaching or truth. Right? And sometimes you can get a little scared when we start thinking about the doctrines. But this doctrine is so foundational to A... Knowing who I am in Christ, who God created me to be, 
And then it, it is also foundational for how I would treat others and how I would see them, how I view them in light of who God is and what he's done. This idea that we are made in the image of God, uh, Paul David Tripp writes in his book, Do You Believe? He says this, Like God is an amazing thing to declare. Made in his image is a profound announcement. But these are the things God immediately declares upon creating Adam and Eve. In those words, he is defining their identity and the utter uniqueness of their relationship to him. Adam and Eve are not just part of the catalog of creatures that God made. They are above. They are special. They are christened with a dignity that separates them from everything else. We must not ever forget this foundational definition of who human beings are. With these words, God names the intrinsic worth of people. This worth is never earned and cannot be taken away. To be human is to have dignity and worth because you carry the image of God himself. That's true. That in each and every human there is an innate worth because God put it there when he created. When God created, he created for a purpose. His, his creation, his creating us then gives us purpose, right? It gives us purpose to glorify and magnify the one who has created us. It gives us identity as a child of God, as someone that, that is owned and possessed by a creator. Like, if you make something, it's yours. When, when you make something, and my kids are quick to verify this, right? When they make something in the house, in, the, in Legos, it's community Legos, and yet as soon as they make something out of those community Legos, that then becomes theirs. And we all kind of agree with that. We understand that. Listen, if you, if you made a painting, right, that's your painting. If you, uh, cre- if you built a car, that's your car. We understand that. Well, if that's true, and we're, we're good with that, then how can we have such a hard time with the idea that if we are created by God, we are His? He owns us. Like, what better place to be than to be a son or child, son or daughter of of the living God, than to be the created being by this perfect creator? That's what we want. And what we don't want, like that, that inner struggle, right? Because of the fall. We don't want a Lord. We don't want a king. We don't want someone to tell us what to do. And yet we know that we can't do it. And so we look for something to, to tell us what's true. And God has told us what is true. Listen, when we talk about the, the, the purpose, like God was intentional in making us. We know it from Psalm uh, 139. It's a great psalm. Many of us probably know it, but it says in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before you were, God knew. Before you had substance, He knew you, He created you, He called you by name, and you are His. And He's yours. That's the beauty of that relationship. If you are His, then He's yours. 
different roles, but equally you, you have each other. That's a beautiful passage that should define who we are. If I believe that that's true, then I don't get to argue with God about the things that are going on in my life that are wrong. Or, or the things that are going on in my, in my neighbor's life that are, that are wrong and saying, somehow blaming God for what's messed up in me. And I think that that's probably where I'm quickest to do it. As I look at, at the my growth, my understanding, and I think it's not fast enough. I don't think I'm getting it. And yet God says that, no, I knew every, every one of your days. You, you haven't slowed down, or you're, you're right where you need to be. Paul understands that when he says, but, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Like this understanding that God is doing this work I can't, I can't stop it. I can't speed it up. God is creating and recreating me into exactly what he wants me to be. But we don't believe that. We argue with that. We complain against that. We're frustrated with that. And yet if that's true, then I, I have no grounds to stand on for frustration. I have no grounds to stand on for anger towards God. Because he's got me right where he wants me. This idea of the image of God is huge. It's the only way that we are going to have right relationship, first and foremost, with the creator, God himself, by knowing that he's creator and I'm created. And it's the only way that we're going to have right relationship with each other. Because until I see you and you see me as image bearers of God, because of our sin, we're going to to try to use each other and use that relationship and get something out of it that we want. But when I realize that you are created in the image of God and I'm created in the image of God, then our shared goal, our shared purpose then becomes to reflect the glory of God. To point each other to Jesus. To encourage each other in believing what is true. And that's what we need. Listen, image of God foundational doctrine. One of the other things that's in here is, is another foundational doctrine and it's a little harder to understand, but this idea that if you go back to verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That first sentence that God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That plural. The idea that when God speaks, He speaks of our. He speaks of us. When you go back to the very uh, first couple of verses, the first verse of Genesis 1, Sorry, second verse of Genesis 1, at the end of it, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Listen, Moses is the one that's recounting this story. Moses hasn't been given all of the beauty of the Trinity yet. He, he doesn't understand that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all working together in beautiful harmony, 
glorifying one another in this perfect relationship. He doesn't have all of that, but what he does understand is that, that there is uh, a definition to God that says that God is, is both spirit and truth. God is both the creator and he's the spirit that's hovering over the waters. But what we have in the fullness of God's plan is we begin to see, no, there's this triune God. There's this perfect trinity. God the Father, the creator, the one who, who created all things. God the Son who has come and who, is, who has lived perfect humanity walked in it to show us what it looks like and then made a way for us to walk in that by His death and resurrection. And God the Spirit that's been given to us that dwells inside of us, causing us to remember and believe truth of who God is and what He's done. There's this beautiful triune God picture right there in the very beginning, first chapter of Scripture. Jesus uh, tells us more about this. In John, this is his high priestly prayer. It's, it's the prayer that he prays. He's walked with the disciples, and thankfully we've been in Mark for a long time, and we've seen, like, what does that relationship look like? It's beautiful. Well, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he wants to impart this, what is the most important things that, that I've taught these guys, and I need, to rem, I need them to remember. And so he's, he's praying, and he's asking God to do these things. John 17, 20 through 23 says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And love them even as you loved me. Jesus is beginning to, to share with us. We have, again, this is a, a prayer between Jesus and God, God the Son and God the Father. And so we're invited into this inner dialogue. That's, that's the beauty of this scripture that we have. Like we take it for granted. But all of us can read it in our own language. We, most of us have it by our bedside. We... Almost all of us have it on our phone, probably. We have access to the Word of God. That is an incredible gift. Man, we need to take advantage of that. We need to dive into that and enjoy it. But, but in this passage, we have this, this prayer that Jesus is making to God. He's speaking to the Father, and we're invited in to listen. And what does He pray? He prays that, they would, they would inter, that we would interact. And listen, it's particular to us, because in verse 20 it says, I ask not only for these, the, the disciples that are with him, but for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. If we have come to know God through scripture, it is, be, it is because these men wrote it down, and it's through their word. And so Jesus is praying for us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a, there's a unity. There's a unity that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit have. And Jesus is crying out that that unity would be shown in the church. That we would be one. That we would have right relationship. That that hunger that we have for relationships would be met 
in each other and in God. And yet it's not. And yet it's really broken. Even in the church today, if, we, if we're honest, there's so much division, so much brokenness, so much inner fighting and strife. And, and yet Jesus is praying and he's saying, no, Lord, I pray that that, that church, that the, the disciples here and those that would believe in the future, that they would be one as you and I are one. And so there's a disconnect. What do we need? What do we need that would reconcile and fix this? <clears throat> As we think about being made in the image of God, the image of God being the, the, the triune God, right? A God who is, it, is in community and reflects and worships each other and, and gives glory and honor to each other. And then we say that we're created to do that same thing. Where is the disconnect? And I think that it's because we don't want to worship the same thing. We all want to worship ourselves. We, we were created to worship. We were made in the image of God. And, and He worships. He gives glory, praise, honor. The, the Son gives praise to the Father. The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Like there's this beautiful relationship there. And yet in our world, we only want to worship us. We long to be worshipped. And so that's, there's a disconnect there. Again, Paul Tripp talks about um, receiving his, his adopted daughter. And one of the things that he talks about is, is this idea of worship. God designed this little one to be able to know him, relate to him, love him, talk to him, and worship him. This is why we were created, to worship God. These capacities separated Adam and Eve from the rest of creation as they did this little one that I held in my hands. She was made for God. She was made to live with God. She was made to listen to God. She was made to obey God. And she was made to offer her heart to God in awe, wonder, and worship. That's what we were created to do. And yet so much of our time, energy, capacities are spent for worshiping either something else or seeking worship for ourselves. But this calling that they have is, is to, to worship God, to be fruitful and multiply, to create more image bearers that would reflect the glory of God to the world. Right here in Genesis 1. Fill the earth with image bearers. These created beings that would point to the Creator and be satisfied in that relationship and spend all of eternity worshiping the Creator. And yet we fall far short of that. You see, but the beauty of it is that God did not let us rest there. God created, man sinned, the fall happened, and God restored. God has reconciled. How has he done that? He's done that through his son Jesus. This God-man has come, and he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He had perfect relationship with everyone that he was in relationship with. He had perfect relationship to the Father, and he walked that out beautifully. 
And so because he could do that, then, then when he goes and he takes the punishment for sin and for shame, it wasn't what he had earned. It was what we had earned. And he suffered in our place. He bore the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us, was poured out on the Son. Not because he had, not because he had failed in his worship. Not because he had failed in his giving glory to God, but because we had. And so God took it upon himself. To die on the cross for our sins. And he was raised up from the grave showing that he was victorious over sin and death. And the brokenness that we still experience, it's done. It's finished. It's a finished work. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a powerful passage. If you, if you get a chance, I would say meditate on that, memorize that. Like that's a truth that we need to have with us all the time. That it's, it's not us who have fixed this, this worship piece in us. It's God who has come in the person of Jesus and reconciled us to himself. And by reconciling us to himself, if, if you are reconciled to him and I'm reconciled to him, then we're reconciled to each other. That's the beauty of it. It starts in that first relationship, man to God, and then it plays itself out man to man. See, this morning we had this beautiful truth that we were created in the image of God. That that God that we are created in his image is, is a triune God. Is a God that is about relationships, that invites us into relationship with Him, and then creates man and woman to be in relationship with each other, perfect relationship. And Jesus has come and He has restored that and He's walked that out for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so that should lead to worship. That should lead if we believe this truth, then our whole life should be devoted to, to praising God. Now, sometimes praising God is going to look like paying my bills. Sometimes praising God is going to look like getting up in the morning and making my bed. Sometimes, like, sometimes it's just the mundane, but all of it can be worship. All of it can be done in a spirit and an attitude of, God, you have given me everything that I need. You are so good. You are so beautiful. It can be walking to the beach because I, will, I want to surf or I want to fish or I want to do something and being caught in awe of what God has done. This is what God is working in his people. But that's got to play out in the way that we live and the way that we treat each other also. It cannot just be singularly me and God. Because again, if I believe this to be true, now Every other person that I come in contact with, I see them as image bearers. And that's going to change the way that I live. It's going to change the way that I parent. 
It's going to change the way that, that I act as a husband and as a son to my parents, right? And that's just that's familial relationships. But then you have so many other relationships, and they are all affected by this truth that God created man and woman in His image. And so they deserve the respect and the honor that you would give to God. And we can do that because of what Jesus has done. We can do that because we are no longer the old man, but we are a new creation who is being formed and transformed into the image of Christ, the perfect image of Christ. And so when you go, and when we go today, and we fail at this, probably in the next 15 minutes after we get done, first chance we have to be in relationship, we'll probably mess it up. We get to go back and say, but, but God, you have worked perfect righteousness. And you said that that's available for me, so Lord, would you do that in me? We continue to change me, to be an ambassador of this reconciling work that you've done for your glory, to live in right relationship with people, but most of all, to live in right relationship with you. And so I pray that today that would be our, our goal. That would be what we're striving for. That's what we're praying for each other for, that we would be like Christ, that we would be reflections of him to a dying world that needs to hear it. Amen? Amen. Lord, we pray that you would do this, this deep work, this work that only you can do. God, we trust you for it. We thank you for the truth that we are image bearers of this glorious and beautiful God. God, and as image bearers, we get to reflect your glory to each other and to the world. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to teach us, Lord, what this means and how it affects the way that we live, how it affects the way that we treat each other. God, would you do all of this for your glory and for your fame today, in Jesus' name, amen.